Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Acts chapter number 8. We're going to start right where we stop. That's a good place to start is right where you stop, right? If we're going to go verse by verse, go through the chapter. Uh, uh, I really I really wanted to go with more than I had tonight, but I, I, I run out of space on the paper. I said, well, two pages, we better stop because that usually gets us to an hour. Uh, I wanted to do I wanted to do a counterfeit and a convert, a counterfeit and a convert. That's what we find in this chapter. Uh, but we got too much information on the counterfeit. So we'll have to wait for the convert the next week. All right. Uh, but we're going to see what did what did he say? What did he say in Acts chapter one, verse eight? But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witness to me in Jerusalem. Then where? Judea, Judea Samaria, and then uttermost parts of the earth. Now, we learned last week, we learned last week that they were kind of hanging out in Jerusalem. You know, they wasn't, they wasn't expanding. They wasn't spreading and, and doing uh, really what God had called them to do. And God allowed some persecution. He allowed uh, really severe, severe persecution to take place. And with that being done, they were scattered abroad. And what did they do when they were scattered abroad? They went everywhere doing what? Preaching the gospel, preaching the word. So the, so with that, it was like seed being sown in the wind and uh, the gospel was spreading. And, and so in this chapter, we're going to see somebody, we're going to see a Samaritan, uh, and many, many Samaritans through the, the, the work of Philip, and then an Ethiopian eunuch, uh, which will be classified as the uttermost parts, right? And that'll be, we'll have to get to that next week. But we're going to see God accomplishing what he called us to do here in this chapter. If you're glad to be saved, say amen. amen. Now, I have to say something. I have to say something. If you wasn't here Sunday, uh, I want to make sure uh, that, that you get this because uh, I, I said it Sunday, but I want you to know uh, I, I was whining last week uh, uh, about people sleeping and that kind of thing, and, and I shouldn't have been doing that. The Holy Spirit convicted me on the way home, and, and he got in the truck with me and, and said, so you didn't like people sleeping, huh? I said, not really. He said, well, at least they were there. He says a lot of people stayed home, but they came out tired and wore out just to hear you, and you was up there whining. <clears throat> so the Holy Spirit said to apologize. So I am very, very sorry. That was dumb of me. I shouldn't have been whining. You are here. Thank God that you're here. You could have stayed home. There's 50 other things you could have been doing, but you took the time out to come, and uh, I apologize and I'll try my best to keep the whining to a minimum. <clears throat> Do y'all forgive me? Say amen. amen. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, everybody has a weakness every now and then, right? That don't need to be in here. Okay. So let's, let's look in Acts chapter number eight and verse number, let's leave. Let's start with verse number five. We stopped in verse number four last week. Let's start with verse number five. Then Philip went down to the city of where? Samaria. Samaria. And preach Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city, and there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people. Now, that's not meaning casting spells on people. The word bewitch there means to, to cause amazement and wonder, all right? Uh, they're blown away by this guy. It says, uh, in, in giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest. In other words, everybody, everybody thought this guy was something. Saying, this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also when he was baptized, it says, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them and that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptizing the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you for a crowd that's committed, uh, Lord, to come out during the middle of the week and worked hard all week long, and, and, and Lord, they're here to be blessed, and they're here to learn, and they're here to grow, and I, I pray that you'll help me tonight. Help me to be a blessing. Help me to take what you showed me and, and, and be able to articulate it to a, in a way that they can understand and comprehend what I'm saying, and Lord, I pray that we'll help see what, what, what needs to be real, authentic salvation, not a counterfeit. Lord, I pray that your perfect will be done, and God will thank you for all that you do, in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say it, amen. amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, we're going we're gonna to study, we're gonna study a, a certain person named Simon tonight, uh, and, and I, don't know, I don't know if you're familiar with, with uh, old-time church, or, or, or maybe, maybe the terminology was different from when I was growing up to, to around here. It seems like different areas and and uh, regions have different terminology for, for Christian terms in the Bible. But how many of y'all have ever heard, how many of y'all have ever heard the phrase, the devil slipped him a counterfeit? Anybody ever heard that phrase? When I was growing up, somebody who, somebody who uh, maybe one day in their life, they professed to be saved. They, they, they walked the aisle and they professed uh, uh, Christ and, and, and uh, went through the motions, if you will, went through all the motions, went, went through the baptistry and here and there and that. And, 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 but, but never was really changed, never, uh, uh, never had an experience where, where God changed their life. They were really not a new creature. But later on, later on down the line, later on down the years, uh, uh, man, God really began to convict them and, and reveal to them their true, true condition. And they go forward and they, they truly repent and truly believe in Christ. And, uh, and now uh, they are truly saved. And the, and the term that's used, the term that we would use, or I heard use growing up, was, listen, the first time the devil slipped them a counterfeit. Now does everybody understand what that term is? They, the devil slipped them a counterfeit. They made a profession, they went forward, but it wasn't genuine, it wasn't real. And, and so they had a counterfeit. Uh, what is a counterfeit? Counterfeit's fake, right? Uh, what is a counterfeit? It's an imitation of the real the real thing. And, and, and I, I don't know if you know this or not, but counterfeits can be pretty convincing. And that's what we're going to see in this situation. Now, when I first, when I first uh, read this particular chapter with Simon and what he did, and I just took for face value, you know, because it says he believed in Christ was baptized and continued with them. And so I just took it for face value uh, that he was, a, he was a true believer and, and later on he did something real stupid because it's very possible for true believers to get real stupid. How many of y'all figured that out by now? And, but that's, that's truly not the case because if you, if you go and, and, and dig a little deeper, you'll find out that he really became a leader of Gnosticism, which we'll, we'll share that in a minute and study what that means, uh, in a false teacher, a false, a teacher of false doctrine, a cult, really. And so we know for a fact, because of the writings of the early church fathers, that he was a false believer. And so I want to go in that and in this study with you knowing that, okay? Right off the bat, I'm going to tell you, the dude wasn't legit, okay? He was a false believer, 
and, and so, and as we go through it, we'll look at some issues and, and then uh, at the end, really, I want to I I kind of give you the, the information about Gnosticism before and after. In other words, the same information before, so it can be in your head. And then when we get through with the study at the end, you're going to think, yep, that makes sense. Because of his behavior and how he behaved, then translated that what he was teaching in his false teaching. Is that, if that makes sense, say amen. It may not right now, but it will in the end, okay? All right, let's jump right into this thing. Let's look here. We see this is what's happening, all right? Uh, uh, Philip, has, is, is, he's expanded his horizons, if you will. He's gone down to Samaria, and he's going to a place that the Jews hated. Uh, they, were, they were half Assyrian and half Jew, and, and, and in, in the Jewish people's eyes, they were traitors, uh, uh, they had committed unpardonable sins. They were not even, they were not even worthy to walk on the same side of the street with. And, and so they were very, very hated by the Jewish people. But I'm glad that God said, when ye shall receive power, ye shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, the Jews and Samaria and Samaria, come on and Samaria, right? So God is including the Samaritan people in the church. And, and obviously, if you go to the uttermost parts of the earth, he's including the Gentiles into the church, right? So this is where we're seeing that, that happen here in, in Acts chapter number 8. Then Philip, verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. Now watch what was happening. They were hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. God gave him supernatural abilities uh, to perform miracles there in Samaria, unclean spirits, crying with loud voices. He's casting out demons here. They came out that were possessed with them. Many taken with palsies that were lame were what? Healed. They were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Man, this was, this was, this was a revival happening, right? Every, people are getting saved. People are believing. Uh, people are being healed. And now it brings up the character we want to study. Watch what it says. There was great joy in that city. What's the first word of verse 9? But. Now you know there's going to be a transition of the thought, right? But even in all that good stuff happening, there was a certain man named Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery. Now sorcery there, he was of the Magi. How many of y'all, you know, we, we talk about uh, uh, we three kings, the, 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 the magi of the east, the magicians, astrologers, and all of that. Uh, this is similar to what he was, all right? Uh, he, had, he had magical powers as far as uh, it could be sleight of hand, and it could be demonic, too, uh, what, his, what his abilities were. And I read some that were kind of far-fetched, but I couldn't substantiate it. But it was, he, he had the ability, he had the ability, whether it was sleight of hand or the tricks of the magicians uh, to be able to mesmerize people with the things he was doing. All right. Now, it says that there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, given out that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. In other words, he was so good at what he did from the least to the, to, to the greatest in the city, from the richest to the poorest, from the, the most important to the least important. They all thought this guy is the deal. This is the, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of when Nicodemus came to Jesus. You remember when he came to Jesus by night and said, we know that thou art a, a teacher come from God because no man can do what thou doest lest God be with him, right? That, that kind of thing. That's the same thing here. They, they're seeing, listen, this guy is something. He is, he is, he is, and, and uh, Simon was claiming deity. He was claiming that he was allowing them to call him God, really, putting him on the same level as God. He's claiming deity in his, in his behavior. Now, it says in verse number, uh, 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 verse number 11, And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, now here's where we're going to get in the outline. All right, verse 13. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip 
and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. All right, so let's look at, let's look at this. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read Gnosticism, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get to the outline. All right, here's, here's two things. We're going to talk about Simon. So let me give you a little description of Simon and then the Gnosticism, the, the movement he created. He was called Simon the Knowledgeable or Simon the Sorcerer, Simon uh, the Magician or Simon Magus. Uh, he was a, the religious figure that was confronted by Peter in Acts 8, 9 through 24. Now, according to Acts, Simon was a Samaritan Magus or religious figure in the first century AD and a convert to Christianity, baptized by Philip the Evangelist, but Simon later clashed with Peter. But we learn that surviving traditions about Simon appeared in the Orthodox texts, such as Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, uh, 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 I, I, I practice pronouncing this name, uh, Hippolyt- Hippolytus, Hippolytus. I said that right. I, I, I've been calling it Hippolytus, but when I, I, I stud- or looked it up on the computer how to pronounce it, it was Hippolytus. Hippolytus. Say that with me. You'll probably never need that again, but you got it right. All right. Now, these early church fathers, they wrote about him and described him as the founder of Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Okay. Now, what's Gnosticism? It's from the ancient Greek, which meaning having knowledge. Say that with me. Say it again. Having knowledge. knowledge. It is a collection of ancient religious ideas and systems which originated in the first century AD among early Christian and Jewish sects. These various groups labeled Gnostics by their opponents. Now watch this. Watch this how they're described. They emphasize personal spiritual knowledge over, that's where you get the word gnosis, right? Gnosticism, gnosis, knowledge. They emphasize personal spiritual knowledge over orthodox teachings, traditions, and ecclesiastical authority. Now, let me, let me make that simple to understand. They emphasized experience over scripture. Get that? In other words, it doesn't matter what the scripture says if this is what I feel. My experience trumps scripture. All right. Now, now we can, there's a lot we can say about that, but we don't have time, but that's basically the, uh, 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 the, the foundation there. Now, many Gnostic texts deal not in, now watch this. They deal not in concepts of sin and repentance, but with illusion and enlightenment. All right. They want to talk about sin and repentance. They just want to talk about feelings, enlightenment, right? Now watch. Gnostic writings flourished among certain groups in the Mediterranean world until about the second century uh, when the fathers of the early church denounced it as heresy. In other words, they, they made him a heretic. So he, we know he was a false convert, all right? He was not a true believer in Christ. Now, if everybody's on the same page right there, say amen. amen. All right, now I'm going to go over that stuff again at the end when, when we get to in showing his behavior and, and it'll all click. But we're looking at somebody who was a heretic who eventually, after his confrontation uh, with Peter, uh, we find that he turns into a false teacher. So he is a false convert, a false convert. All right. Now, let's look back. Let's look back in our notes. All right. Let's look on the front, front page. Say, so is this even biblical? Is it possible for somebody, for a church to have false converts in it? Well, Matthew says this, Matthew 13, 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed seed or good seed in his field. And while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Now, tear is something that has no value, but it looks just like wheat. Are y'all with me? Has no value, but it's basically a weed. But it appears to be when it first comes up, it appears to be true wheat. So is everybody on the same page? Say amen. amen. Now watch. Now watch. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit. See, there's the key. You never know it's a tear till you see it's fruit. Yeah. Amen. amen. I, 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 I can hunker down and preach right there, but you, you get me. All right. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, an enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? 
But he said, nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. I'm glad God knows the difference between the wheat and the tare. Amen. Now we needed, we need an explanation of that. The disciples were confused about that parable. So they say, explain that to us. Now, now it's Jesus' explanation. Then Jesus said, this is in verse 36 of the same chapter. Then Jesus said unto the multitude, or sent the multitude away, and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it shall be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, any time anytime God moves, Satan moves. That's the basic principle. When God plants good people, the devil is going to plant bad people. When God plants the real thing, the devil's always going to have a counterfeit. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, he says in Matthew 7, 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate. And, narrow, and that word straight means a difficult way, a tight way. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And say it with me. And few there be that find it. Now watch what he says in Matthew seven twenty one. This is frightening. <clears throat> Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many. How many? Many. Many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Listen, I wish, I wish the truth was that, that every single person that comes to church was born again. But that's just not reality. It's just not. Uh, uh, there are people that come for various reasons, people that come out of habit. There are people that come out of obligation. Uh, there are people that come that are seeking. And, and that's a great thing because if you seek, you will find. And by the way, by the way, I meant to make this announcement. Uh, I, I, I can't believe I forgot about it. I've been walking this high off the ground ever since Monday. Uh, but in Bondo Church Monday night, we had two men trust Christ as their Savior and bow their head and, and get saved Monday. I'm telling you. It, it, it was the most awesome, awesome event. It won, one in particular. Uh, one of the other men had been inviting them, this person, uh, to this building for about four years now. And, and just, it's kind of intimidating. I mean, you got to admit, if you're not used to this, you have no church experience like that. Uh, this, this kind of building and size and crowd and people is kind of intimidating. And he just said, man, I, I just can't do that. And he said, well, I'm, we're going to start in, in my shop. He said, well, I'll be there. And this is one, this is one that was at trusted Christ. He prayed and had big old crocodile tears coming down his face. And man, I'm telling you, I was about to tear the sheetrock off the wall. And when he got through praying, he said, Lord, God, thank you for saving me. Woo! Say amen. I'm sorry, I just had to tell y'all. It was, it was awesome. I'm telling you, it was awesome. I wish that was everybody. But that's just not the case. In the field of wheat, there's going to be some tares. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom. Now we have an example. 
All right, before we, see, before we see the example of the true convert with the Ethiopian eunuch in the later part of this chapter, he reveals, he reveals a false convert or a counterfeit. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Let's look at a couple points here. Number one, or a, the reason it's got Roman numeral one, because I had Roman numeral one and Roman numeral two, the counterfeit and the convert, but we had too much information, so I scrubbed the convert. We'll just have that next week, okay? Uh, we cut the outline short. So we find the counterfeit. Let's study him tonight and then we'll, we'll go home. First, I want you to see his facade. Write that down, his facade. How many of y'all know what a facade is? A facade. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of buildings, a lot of businesses, a lot of, uh, a lot of churches, a lot of churches will build a, a, a metal building kind of like what we did because it's real cheap, you know. I mean, it's, it, it's cheaper to do it that way. And then uh, instead of it looking like an airplane hanger, which we have been called that, you know, an airplane hanger, uh, they will put a, a false front on it, a false front to make it look like a stucco building or something of that. Now, uh, behind the facade, you see the metal, you see all of that. There's a, there's a, uh, a church, if you're going out, Eva, because we went out and looked at it before we built the, the very first one we built here. Uh, the whole front of it, you pull in the parking lot, the whole front looks brick. I'm pretty sure it's brick if I remember right. Uh, it, it looks like a beautiful building of brick and red brick. And then if you drive around it, you find out it's just a metal building with brick on the front. So it is a metal building with what on the front? A, a facade. A facade. It, it's, it's fake. It's not real. Not, I'm not criticizing it because the building's beautiful. I mean, that's, what, that's the whole point. But, but it's, it's a fake front. It's not genuine. It's not real. There's something in front. All right? And, and so this, this man had a facade. He had something fake that everybody saw. It wasn't genuine. It wasn't real. It was imitation. Now, let's see what, what was fake. Let's look what it says in verse number 13. When you get to 13, say amen. His facade, number one, number one, underneath the facade, I want you to write this. There was a false profession. A false profession. It says, then Simon himself believed. But we know it was not a saving belief. So how can it be believed? If you believe, you're saved. Well, the Bible says the demons believe. They not only believe, but they tremble. Are y'all with me? But this was not a saving faith. This was not a saving belief. I know a lot of people that believes there's a God. And there's a lot of people that talks about their faith. Well, my faith got me through. And, 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 and they're drunkards. Uh, 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 they're whoremongers. And they, they run in this world and the ways of this world. But they say, I've got faith. But I wonder, what's your faith in? Because your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. Are y'all with me? It's not enough just to have faith. You, there's people that has faith in, in, a, in a cow. In India, listen, in different places around the world, it's illegal to kill a cow because they, their faith is in that cow. Are y'all with me? So that your, your faith is only as good as what the object of the faith is. You say, he believed. But his belief was false. His belief was not, and as we're going to find out, as we're going to find out as we keep studying, his belief was not necessarily in God, but in the miracles he did. How many of y'all were with us during the John study? You remember the many times that John, Jesus performed incredible miracles, but Jesus would not commit himself to them because he knew they were only after the miracle, not the miracle worker. Are y'all with me? So we see a false profession. A false profession. I, I've seen this. I, I grew up in church. My father's right here. Uh, ever since I was born, I've been in church. And I've seen people come. And I've seen people go. I've seen people. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, they made professions. They made professions that looked like, dear Jesus, they was repenting for the world. I mean, wept from the back to the front and made, I mean, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And just, I'm just, you thought, boy, if there's anybody got it, they got it. And, and then you couldn't find them again. I mean, these, these, these professions can, they can seem real. 
And, and this, this what right here, this particular verse right here, it goes to prove how difficult it is to tell the difference between a wheat and a tear. And you don't, you don't, you don't judge, you don't judge the profession by the confession. You judge it by the fruit that profession brings forth. Are y'all with me? And we're going to see some of his fruit in just a minute. All right. So we see a false profession. And like I said, that's why I told y'all about the Gnosticism in the beginning. So, because I know if, if you're like me and you're a skeptic like me, when you're and somebody just says something, you go, well, why do you think that? Why do you just assume it's false? I'm not assuming. I'm not assuming. I got the other information too. Okay. I know he was a heretic. I know he's a false teacher. I know it was a false profession. So when I read this, I see it and we can plant it in there. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. So we see a false profession. Then, then number two, there's a meaningless baptism. A meaningless baptism. And there is reasons beside every point because I asked the Lord to help me with this and he gave me these points and you'll know why. Tell me the point. You just wrote it down. Say it with me. Say it again. You say, well, why are you saying it's meaningless? Because it's meaningless. What, what, then what happened? He just got wet. That's it. That's all that happened. He just got wet. It's meaningless. Baptism is not legit. It's not real. It is not meaningful until true conversion. So he went through the motions of baptism he went through the, and I, I want to use this word ritual because that's all it was to him. That's all it was to him. It was a ritual. It was something that a religious person did. Hey, I'm just going to go through this. I'm going to do it. I, I, his, his profession was false, but he's going to go through the ritual. Here we go. And guess what? It was meaningless. It meant nothing. It meant nothing. Now, why is this important? Why is this important? Because some of y'all, when you was a kid, you made a false profession. And you went through the ritual of baptism. But later on in your life, God showed you that it was a counterfeit. And, and you truly placed your faith in him. You truly repented of your sins and gave him your life. But you're still dependent on that meaningless baptism. I know this is kind of hard to hear, but I'm, I'm telling you the gospel. Well, preacher, I, I don't think you have to get baptized again. If you wasn't saved the first time, you didn't get baptized. You just got wet. That's why, what kind of baptism was it? Meaningless. Didn't mean a thing. Didn't mean a thing. Now, you say, well, preacher, does he have to be baptized to be saved? No, we've already clarified that. That's not the point. The point is being obedient to Christ. And true baptism, real baptism, meaningful baptism... Happens when? After real salvation. Does that make sense? But boy, he was going, man, he was making it real, wasn't he? In the, in the, in the eyes of the, and by the way, by the way, think about this. Think about this. Philip couldn't tell. So how do you know? Because he baptized him. Philip couldn't tell. It wasn't until the apostles got there that his true motivation was unmasked and revealed. Preacher, what are you saying? Listen, it's not, it's not obvious. Be careful. Be careful who you hit your wagon to. Are y'all with me? And there's a whole lot more to that, but anyway. All right. We see a false profession, number one. Number two. What was number two? Meaningless, Meaningless baptism. Number three. We see a hypocritical following. A hypocritical following. Look what it says. Then Simon himself believed, false profession. And when he was baptized, meaningless baptism, just a ritual, he continued with Philip. He kept coming to the services. He kept following Philip, watching the miracles, mesmerized by what Philip was able to do. Now, what is that? It's a hypocritical following. What is, 
hypocritical. We, we, it, you know, we know the word hypocrite comes from the two words, which means wear a mask. In other words, he was putting on a, a front. Putting on a front. Putting on a show, same thing. In other words, the, yeah, facade. In other words, when he pulled in the parking lot, you'd never known. Wore a suit. Carried his Bible. Front row of revival services. Probably said amen every now and then. Y'all with me? It's just, it, I mean, let's, let's, we, we got to apply this. This is what's happening. What's the point? A, con, a, a counterfeit Christian can be very convincing. That's what I'm trying to get at. They can be very convincing. Listen, they can go through the motions. They can go through the ritual. They can even put on the show. Well, I just don't like that terminology, put on the show. Well, let's be careful with that because there's a lot of us that are legit Christians that sometimes put on the show. You don't believe me? I'm going to ask your spouse to video you at home and then video you when you get here. And then we'll put it up there and then see what you say. Amen. Some of you argue with your spouse all the way to church. That's why me and mine drive separate. I've been here 20 years. We have drove separate every Sunday. Say amen. That's why we're together and we're here pastoring right now. Amen. Y'all get the point? They're very, very difficult. This facade, this facade can be very real. It can, it, can, it can be very convincing. Convincing to the point that a man that had real power and, and, and had the touch of God on him and preaching and seeing people saved, man, he couldn't even tell. He baptized him anyway because he looked legit to him, but it was a real facade. All right? Now, if this makes sense so far, say amen. amen. Now, let's look at number two, or B. Let's see what his fault was. We saw his facade. He's got a false profession, went through a meaningless ritualistic baptism. He's putting on a hypocritical front. But what is his fault? Where did he go wrong? Where, where, where can we trace this to? Where did Simon go wrong? How did he come so close, so close and still miss out on genuine salvation? Here's, here's, the, here's the bottom line. You ought to underline this too. Faith must be grounded in the truth. Underline that. Faith must be grounded in the truth. You know what that's basically saying? What is the object of your faith? Is it in truth? Is your faith based on truth? His was not. He had a wrong view of several things that we're going to talk about tonight. And these faults kept him from genuine faith and left him in the position to perish eternally. Faith must be grounded in the truth. Say that with me. Faith must be grounded in the truth. Come on, everybody say it. Faith must be grounded in the truth. My, my, here's, here's an example. Here's an example. Uh, there are people that believe in a work salvation. Okay, they believe in a work salvation. In other words, they believe if you do certain amount of good deeds and, and you work really hard and, uh, and, and, and you do good deeds, that, that, that there's going to be a, a scale up in heaven that's going to measure your, your good deeds against your bad deeds. And if your, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you're going to get in. And their faith, watch this, their faith, what they're dependent on is their ability to be good. Now, there's a lot of really, really close religions and denominations to Baptists that believe that. And their faith is in a works-based salvation. Now watch. Here, here's how serious this is. If their faith, in other words, what they're dependent on is their ability to be good, they're going to hell. Because when God looks at our good works... It doesn't, even, it doesn't even qualify as filthy rags it's so bad. Now, do you see what I'm getting at? The object of your faith. 
My faith is not in my ability to do good. My faith is 100,000% in what Jesus did on that cross, the finished work of Calvary. I'm getting in, not because I'm good, but because he is and what he did. Are y'all with me? So your, your faith is only good is what it's based on, the foundation and, and the object of your faith. It has to be based on truth. All right? Now, now his was not. What are some of the things that he had wrong? First, number one, under the false, write this down. He had a wrong view of self. This is huge. He had a wrong view of self. Let's go back. Let's go back to verse nine. Let's go back to verse nine. When you get there, say amen. But there was a certain man called Simon which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some what? He was portraying like, I'm the man. I'm a what, what kind of one? Come on, everybody. What kind? Great one. Now watch. Verse 10. To whom they all, how many of them? All gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying... This man is the great power of God. He thought a whole lot of himself. Are y'all with me? He had a totally wrong view of self. Now, let me explain. He saw in Philip's teaching a way to gain more greatness for himself. Simon, in other words, this this whole facade he was putting on was really a business decision. It was a business decision. The sorcery and everything that he had going on was to keep himself elevated above everybody else and have everybody coming to him. Well, everybody was going to Philip because they were believing in Christ and being baptized and God was changing their life and he was losing his crowds. And when you lose your crowds, what else do you lose? Your finances. All right. So he said, I'm going to have to get in on this here. If you can't beat them. Oh, yeah. Now watch. He saw this as a way. Simon had claimed deity for himself. He was claiming to be God or God-like. The early church fathers reported that Simon was one of the founders of Gnosticism, which we read earlier, and that he viewed himself as God incarnate. As long as Simon believed himself to be God or nearly God, he could not come to a proper sense of himself. Why? People must see themselves as weak, lost, helpless, without God before they can be saved. Why? You cannot get saved till you get lost. Do you want me to tell you why there's big crocodile tears coming down my friend's face on Monday night? The very thing he said at the end, he felt it from the deepest part of his being, from down deep in his soul. He felt an appreciation and a thanksgiving that God had saved his old unworthy soul. And he said, thank you, God, for saving me. You know why? He was like the songwriter. He understood amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a saved a saved a Rich like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Let me tell you something. The problem with a lot of people when it comes to salvation, it's not that it's too hard to get saved. No, it's too hard to get lost. They think they're too good. They've, been, they've got too much background. They've got too much heritage. I've gone to church my whole life. I don't care how long you've gone to church. We are all lost and undone without God or his son. And he had a false view of himself. He looked at himself as godlike. He looked at himself as somebody who was more powerful than everybody else. And this was just an opportunity to increase that power. Let me tell you something. You can't go up till you go down. And he had a false view of himself. And let me tell you something. You'll never get saved till you get lost. Until you realize that you're a sinner. I held my, (laughs) whoo, I feel it, man. I held my Bible open and I said, read that right there. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I said, you know who that all is? He said, yeah, me. Yeah, me. I said, yeah, me too. And until you see yourself right there, you'll never be saved. You'll never be saved. Preacher, what's the problem? He had a false view of himself. Verse 9. Then, number 2. He not only had a wrong view of self, but he had a wrong view of salvation. He had a wrong view of salvation. Here's, Here's the deal. Let me explain. He had a professional interest in finding out the source of Philip's power. Now watch. Let's go back. Let's go back. Verse 13. Now, now, knowing what we know, knowing what we know that he was a heretic and he was a false teacher and he was more interested in experiences, right? In feelings, not, not, not scripture and truth, right? With that, knowing that in our head, let's go back and read that verse 9 again. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. That's the facade, Right? That's, that, that's, that's the put on. Now watch what the next part of that verse says. Watch what the next part of that verse is. Verse 13. And he continued with Philip. What was he doing with Philip? What's the next word? And wondered. Wondered. Beholding means to gaze upon, to look and to watch. Wow. Wow. What was he focused on? Was it truth? Was it the Savior? Was it the glorious Messiah that has come and and died on an old rugged cross? No, 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 no. That's not what he was focused on. Look what it says. Look what it says. Verse 13. He wondered beholding the and the which were done. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, you're just being too tough on the guy. Hey, keep reading. Keep reading. Now we know because we just read it a while ago, but he was so interested in it. He thought he could buy it. Y'all with me now? You see, in his mind, in his mind, his idea was this is a business deal. All right? Now, it was a professional interest in finding out the source of Philip's power and how to attain it. You see, magicians often sold their tricks and incantations to each other. So Simon, watch this now. Simon viewed salvation as purely what? Ritualistic. In other words, it was completely an external matter. Just an additional act in his life instead of the total transformation of his whole person on the inside. And you have no idea how many people flood churches today with that same idea. You know why? Because we do this false thing. You need to get in church. We need to quit saying that. I mean, really, we need to quit saying that. So I don't think you're just kind of being harsh. How's it working for us? How's it working for us? How's it working for us to, when people has problems and, 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 and their lives falling apart and we tell them to get in church? You know what they're going to say? We tried that. We came to a church and it was probably dead as four o'clock and they had the chosen frozen in it and a polar bear preaching in the pulpit. No life whatsoever, no power of God in it whatsoever, but they think, okay, they went to church. You said go to church. That didn't work. We need to quit telling people to go to church. There's no cosmic power in a church building. We need to start telling them, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Jesus can heal your situation. Jesus can change you. Going through a ritualistic routine of showing up and listening for a few minutes and then thinking about what you're going to eat that day, that's not going to change your life. But honey, if you'll ever get in the presence of Jesus, I promise you your life will change. But he saw it completely external, completely ritualistic. Just completely a a routine that you go through. Something that I'm just going to put this uh, in my in my life. In other words, I'm just going to add this to my schedule. Boy, it got quiet, didn't it? You know why? Because sadly, a lot of us that are legit, all we've done is just kind of added him to our schedule. Only if our schedule 
allows it. If it's convenient. Amen. Totally wrong view. Totally wrong view. Completely ritualistic and outward external matter. What does Jesus say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, in other words, if he is legit, if he is the real deal, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, how many things? All things are. Watch this right here. I didn't mean for y'all to get the color version, but you got it. Amen. Look what it says in blue. Read it to me. Okay. Okay. Let's try this again. All right. Now say it like it's written. Say it's like it's written. Now look at it. Look at it before we say it. Look at it. Now I'm going to see if you get what I'm saying. Y'all ready? Faith that does not transform. The light. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Bold. Bold. I did that on purpose, guys. Faith that does not The life is not saving faith. Well, preacher, they were weeping at the altar. Did they change? Did they change? Was there a transformation taking place? Now, I'm not saying that they get everything right the first week. God knows that don't never happen. But... Is there a change taking place? A desire to change. A desire to be different. A desire to grow. A desire to get closer to God. A desire. Are y'all with me? His was completely external. Not an internal transformation. Let me tell you something. I like the the little Sunday school girl. She come home. She come home and so, mama, 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 mama. Said, Susie, what's, what's going on? Mama, you ain't going to believe what that Sunday school teacher said. You ain't going to believe what that Sunday school teacher said. What did that Sunday school teacher say? That Sunday school teacher said that God lives in us. She said, well, Susie, that's right. That's exactly what it is. Oh, mama, mama, mama. But, but, but you, you don't know what, the, what else she said. Well, what else did she say? She said, mama, she said that God was so big, he holds the whole world in his hand. And if he's that big and he's in us, he's going to be busting out everywhere. Let me ask you this question. What's busting out of you in traffic? Now, I'm not going to be too critical on that because I had an issue this week. And I don't need to be up here preaching on something I'm struggling with, all right? I had the staff get together Saturday, and, and, and I had to put a couple tires on my daughter's car, and, and I told her to go get it. It was a Walmart, and I forgot to give her that little white piece of paper. Y'all know what I'm saying? So they wouldn't let her have it, and I'm like, oh, the staff's here, and I got so I'm, I'm leaving out it and tearing up there to hurry up and go up there, and somebody, somebody pulls out a, out a, uh, I think it was Cracker Barrel, and just pulled all the way in the far lane right in front of me and slowed down. I'm like, why did you do that? And then I guess they thought that I was too close to it. And I might have been. I don't know if I'm recommending thinking that, but they want to brake check me and then get over and flash lights and beep horns, and I, I beep with them. I went ahead and pulled right on in Walmart thinking to myself, come on, come on, come on. And then I was thinking, what am I doing? What if they did come on? I'm mad. Y'all know how it is. Is anybody like that? Come on, don't don't leave me just up here by myself. I'm mad going there and give them the ticket and leave and I'm coming back to... The staff. 
and a Christmas song comes on. Talking about, talking about joy to the world. Peace on earth. Good tidings to all men. Y'all know, Holy Spirit got in there with me again. How about it, Rev? You like that song? No, I don't like that song at all. I mean, immediately. Immediately. The Holy Spirit convicted me. You, know, you really look like a Rev, right where you riding your truck. Right? I'm asking, does it happen? Because if it don't, you might want to check up. Because when somebody's legit, there's something inside that won't let you stay stupid. Are y'all with me? Now watch. Now watch. Let's keep going. We've got to hurry. Faith that does not transform the life is not saving faith. James 2. Watch what he says. Well, I have faith, I have faith, but I'm, I'm, well, what does James say? He says, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? In other words, can that kind of faith save him? In other words, the kind of faith that don't have no works or no fruit, if you want to use the word fruit. There's no change taking place. There's nothing there. He says it, but there's nothing to go along with it. Does that make sense? Look what he says. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. But show me thy faith without thy... He said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. You know what he's saying by that? Talk is cheap, brother. Talk is cheap. Now watch what he says. He even, whoo, he, he, whoo. Watch this one. Verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou believest there's, in other words, you believe in God. Look what he says. Thou doest well. You know what that means? That's sarcastic for, well, good for you. That's what he's saying. You're, 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 you're resting on the fact that you believe there's a God. But watch what he says. The devils also and tremble. But guess what they don't do? They don't repent. They don't love righteousness. They don't love holiness. They have not turned from sin to God. Y'all with me? Now watch. Simon believed in the signs, but not in the one whose power was behind them. True salvation, say it with me, is not a mere profession or ritual act. It is the divine transformation of the soul from love of self to love of from love of sin to love of holiness. What's the point? You won't always act right, but you'll want to. And you'll, you'll feel real bad when you don't. Let me hurry. Let me hurry. 26. Oh, goodness. Wrong view of the spirit. Wrong view of the spirit. Well, I'm not going to have time to get into that, but I got I to gotta show you all this. All right. Peter and John, they send them from Jerusalem. <clears throat> they send them from Jerusalem. Because see, the Samaritans, the Samaritans, where did salvation start? Where did salvation start? Jerusalem with the... Who lives in Jerusalem? Jews, right? But ye shall be witness unto me in Jerusalem. So it's going to be to the Jew first, right? And then also to the Greek. You see how that works? But it starts there. It starts at Jerusalem. Right? It starts with God's people. He offered it to them first, correct? So, so the church is established in Jerusalem. It is going out now. It is branching out to the Samaritans. Philip is there preaching. 
They're believing. They're getting saved. But the Holy Spirit hadn't come on them. Okay? That's what it says. Now, now, so what, what, what's that all about? Well, they sent from the church in Jerusalem and said, we need you to go check this out to see if it's real, to see if it's legit, right? So they sent these guys, these apostles, say it with me, apostles. They come and they see it's legitimate and they begin to lay hands on the Samaritan people and they receive the Holy Ghost. Now, most likely, most likely they were having the signs that that they had saw in Jerusalem that proved that they had the Holy Ghost. Now, what was that? It was authentication and it was proof for the who requires a sign? Jews. All right. It was proof to the Jews that God had accepted the Samaritans. You see this? And. He made sure that there was a connection because if they did not send the apostles and the Samaritans over here just got saved and, 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 and received the Holy Spirit and they could, the church would have stayed split because the Jews aren't, they're not going to hang out with the Samaritans because they think that they, are y'all with me? They hated them. So God had to bring them together. He had to connect the church in Jerusalem with these new believers, not not necessarily for the sake of the Samaritans, but for the sake of the unbelieving Jews that were not going to believe that they truly got in. And Peter said, hey, they got it. Does this make sense? Now, now, later on, later on, when we get to the Gentiles, when we get to, I think, chapter number 10, when we get to the Gentiles, Cornelius. How many of y'all remember Cornelius? Now, now think about this. This is a good thought. I don't want to confuse nobody, but, but they, were, they were saved and baptized, but yet they didn't have the Holy Spirit. When we get to chapter 10, Peter is preaching. Peter is preaching, and they believe, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them before they ever even get baptized. See, it's a totally different deal, isn't it? Now you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm confused. You don't have to be. Watch. This is the thing you've got to understand. Now this is, this is where charismatic and, and uh, uh, Pentecostal groups mess up their doctrine. Because they try to create doctrine out of a transitional book. There is a transition going on. God is building his church. Before, it was just the Jews. They were his chosen people. Now he's moving from the nation of Israel to the church, the body of Christ. The nation of Israel was specific. You had to become a proselyte to come into Judaism. But that is set aside now. He is building a church of Jew and Gentile, slave and owner and women and men, all together as one. And so we have Jew in Acts chapter number 2. We have Samaritans here in Acts chapter number 8. And then when we get to Acts chapter number 10, we have Gentiles. We have Jews in Acts 2, Jerusalem. We have Samaritans, Acts 8 in Samaria, which is half Jew and half Gentile. And then in Acts 10 with Cornelius, we have full-blooded Gentile. And so what has he done? He's made up the church. So how does it work nowadays? Acts 10. Acts 10. Now, do y'all see what I'm talking about? There's a transition going from the way God did it at Pentecost to the way he did it at Samaria. And now the way he did it here in Acts 10. We hadn't got there yet, but let me put it on you. The moment you believe in Christ, the moment you place your faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes into you immediately. Before you are ever baptized. And according to scripture, if you have the spirit, you are saved. If you have not the spirit, you are lost. In Acts 10, they had the spirit before baptism. Which tells me emphatically without a shadow of a doubt that you are saved Before the act of baptism. 
But that's really not what we want to talk about tonight. But we'll get that to in chapter 10. But you needed to understand why it was necessary for the apostles to leave Jerusalem and come to Samaria to lay hands on them. Because God was connecting them and putting them together and saying, hey guys, we're all on the same team. Does that make sense? So, so. I got to tell you the rest of this. I, we're over time, but I got to tell you the rest of this. When, fit, when, when, when Simon saw that, when he saw that they had the power to lay hands on these people and they received the Holy Spirit, man, that, he couldn't take it no more. I got to have that. Let me buy that. And y'all know the story. Peter said, you need to repent. You're in the gall of bitterness. That means basically poison. You're being poisoned. You're going to perish. Your money and your thoughts of your heart perish with you. He told them to repent. But you know what he did? He didn't have godly sorrow. Look in your notes, not right now, but look in your notes. I gave you 2 Corinthians where it talks about godly sorrow worketh repentance. But worldly sorrow worketh death. Here's what, here's what he said. Look at everybody. Look, I'm, I'm finishing up right here. Finishing up right here. You know what he said? Instead of getting on his knees and said, I am so ashamed that I have offended a holy God. You know what he said? Please don't let me. Please don't let that stuff happen to me. He didn't repent of his sin. He asked them to make sure the consequences of his sin don't come on him. You see the difference? He said, man, don't let them consequences come to me. In other words, if we want to put it in, in, I don't want to get right. I just don't want to go to hell. That's the best way to put it. So the last point there is he had a wrong view of his sin. Wrong view of salvation, wrong view of self, wrong view of the spirit, and a wrong view of sin. He never repented. He never repented. What was he? What was he? A counterfeit. A counterfeit. And all God's people say it. <laughs> Dustin came into my office and he saw the outline. He said, that's an awful short outline. You sure you got an hour in you? <clears throat> That's exactly what I said. <laughs> All right. Hey, you, you get into it. You dig, you dig, you dig. It's just more. Listen, we could, we could dig in this thing for days and still find truth after truth after truth after truth. Amen. Everybody stand. We're, we're going to pray. I need to see. I need to see uh, Pox and, 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 and Brucey. I need to see y'all in my office right after church if you don't care. No, you ain't in trouble. Ain't no trouble. Uh, uh, isn't the Lord good? Now, here's what I need. I need y'all to do. Here's what I need y'all to do for me. How many of y'all love me? I love you guys too. And I need a favor. I need a favor. AJ, AJ, one of the gentlemen that got saved Monday night. One of the gentlemen that got saved Monday night. He has, he has got uh, sugar diabetes. And he has got an ulcer on the bottom of his foot. Just like big time. And I would really like for God to do a miracle in that kid's life. I'd like for God to touch that thing and just show him that we do serve a God that's powerful. So how many of y'all would, would, would this week pray with me that God would touch AJ's foot? Would y'all do that? Thank you so much. And let's do it. Let's do it. Let's see what God will do. Let's see what God will do. Let's put God to the test. God is a good God. Now, he may not heal. I don't know what he's going to do. But if he doesn't heal, he will give strength and power and grace to, to deal with it. Right? So, y'all, let, let's just pray that now. Will y'all help me pray that now? Travis, pray out loud right where you are. Let, dismiss us and ask God to touch AJ for me.